Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we speak to higher education thought leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of this industry and pick their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amr Elowalia chats with Tom Kavanagh, the Vice Provost for Digital Learning at the University of Central Florida. Amrit and Tom chat about the upcoming UPSIA conference in Orlando and reflect on the importance of streamlining the management of continuing and corporate education to the success of modern institutions. Tom, hey, thank you so much for joining me on the Illumination podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So we're going to have a really fun conversation today uh, on, you know, the the exciting world of consolidated <laughs> management of continuing education, which for anyone who's currently looking down the, you know, exploring an RCM budgeting model, anyone who's looking into that kind of centralizing process, I know this is a topic that you're particularly interested in. But before we get there, Tom is uh, co-chairing this year's uh, University Professional Continuing Education, or UPSIA conference, in uh, his hometown of Orlando, Florida. Uh, so, Tom, before before we dive into the the riveting world of centralization, um, do you want to talk a little bit about what's what's happening at UPSIA? What you're excited about? I'd I'd love to hear what what's on your mind. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and 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 I'm happy to to put a plug in here for the conference, which is uh, April uh, 11th uh, through the 14th, as you said, here in sunny Orlando. It'll be at Walt Disney World at one of their resorts. So uh, it's a great opportunity for the first kind of in-person uh, conference opportunity in a couple of years, and mm-hmm. um, and we're really looking forward to it. There's a great program of sessions and uh, keynotes. Um, including uh, just booked uh, Paula Blanc, um, who will be speaking. So if you don't know him, he's the president of Southern New Hampshire University and, and a great speaker. I've seen him a couple of times. Um, and, and an opportunity to maybe like have a cup of coffee with a colleague that you, that you haven't done in a while. Uh, there are safety protocols and everything in place for the conference. So there's no concern there, I hope. But, um, but I'm personally looking forward to it. Uh, and, um, and, I, and I can't wait. And, you know, I get to sleep in my own bed and drive to the conference every day. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it too. And, uh, you know, we were chatting a little bit before, uh, before we started recording about folks, uh, to, you know, using, using this trip as a, you know, as a, as an opportunity to turn it into a bit of a vacation. And I will shamelessly say that that is something that I'm also going to be doing. Yeah. Uh, it kind of falls around yeah. spring break a little bit too. For people. It's pretty perfect. And, and just as a shameless plug for anyone who is attending up here or is considering it, um, I'll be doing a session with uh, Eric Bullard, uh, Tanya Zlateva, Ian Allen, and Michelle Fa, just kind of reflecting on the chapter that we wrote for the Handbook of Online Learning on Repositioning Continuing Ed. So if you are planning on attending the conference, absolutely consider swigging by that session. If you weren't, uh, or if you're on the fence about attending that conference, hey, you know, come come see basically what's going to be an Illumination episode in person. Um there is a there's a virtual option too. I should say for for people who who are unable to travel or don't have the budget or whatever. Um, it, that's going to happen afterwards called called remote, and um, it'll be a, a slightly different program. But I think some of the keynotes and, and other kinds of things may be maybe repeated between the two. That's awesome. I'm loving seeing the ingenuity that's that's in place right now. I mean, folks are finding some really creative ways to make sure that uh, everything is as accessible as possible. Um, and, you know, as, as we're kind of getting into this topic of, of creating accessibility, ensuring quality, no matter, you know, who you're serving or, or how that individual is able to engage the material, I mean, it really brings us into this topic nicely because, you know, as, as we think about 
um, the, the world or role of continuing education. It's generally the accessibility arm of any given institution. It, it creates access to the institution for individuals who aren't necessarily served by traditional programming. But historically, there's been a, a level of inconsistency in how non-degree or continuing ed programming is offered within a given institution, even when there's a continuing ed division. Uh, oftentimes different departments will approach their, their non-degree or continuing ed individually. So, you know, just uh, as, as you look at the marketplace, as you look broadly and, you know, feel free to draw on your, your own experiences at US, UCF as well. Why are so many colleges and universities looking to streamline and centralize the management of continuing ed programming? Well, I mean, obviously I think there's gonna be a different set of circumstances in different contexts at every institution. So they may all have their own kind of idiosyncratic reasons for doing that. But uh, I think I can talk in general and certainly from my experience here where we've got a bit of a, I think a hybrid model that's mostly centralized. And the advantage I see to being, to being centralized and to having that um, kind of a centralized orientation is you can be a lot more strategic. When, um, when you've got a lot of different colleges or programs kind of off doing their own thing and and they may have you know individual relationships with companies or something that that are in that industry and that's that's good but you can get a bit atomized and inconsistent in um in you know pricing services and um and 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 maybe disadvantage some where if if you could aggregate some of that at least the administration of that you can probably uh, look for opportunities that that you can better serve those potential uh, clients, so to speak. Say you're, mm -hmm. you're doing a custom training program for a company or something that's local. Um, there may be, so you may be doing something that's in, uh, in customer service and you're doing that through your business school or something. I'm just making something up. But um, that company may also need, I don't know, uh, coding support for their developers. And it might need diversity training for you know everybody. And who knows, other things that could be that could be provided that value add for that partner that are not provided by that specialized, you know, unit, the college of business. But mm -hmm. it's only by having a bit of a, of a higher perch uh, kind of from a centralized point of view that you can kind of see how to bring to bear kind of all the assets of the university to better serve that partner in a real value added way. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's interesting. And it's a topic that we've seen come up a number of times, but from the from from the employer's perspective, from from the client's perspective, they're not interested in seven separate partnerships with different corners of the institution to get that full range of programming that they need. To their mind, you know, UCF is UCF. Um, so from a from a client experience uh, perspective, it, it makes a ton of sense. Now, you mentioned that you guys are operating on something of a hybrid model when it comes to the centralization of continuing ed. Could you share a little bit more about where the line is? Yeah, so for example, uh, one area that that does operate a little bit autonomously is um, our, our global unit. So if there's a, a partnership with a, a foreign institution or we're delivering some particular kind of like, I don't know, uh, English language, uh, you know, non-credit institute sort of thing, um, our, our global UCF arm is, is really better equipped to sometimes navigate that. And then there are exceptions uh, throughout, you know, where a particular college will do something on, on their own. I'll be honest, <laughs> there, there is a bit of a challenge sometimes uh, trying to get colleges to understand the value add of continuing ed. 
mm. in in some of their their programming you know like oh that's just you know it's it's just overhead management we have to pay to somebody to do this thing that we're going to deliver well i don't think it's quite that simple and we have to help them understand that especially at a public university like like UCF there's a there are a lot of regulations and um you know certain colors of money that have to be navigated and and our continuing education team really understands that mm -hmm. and we can keep everybody clean <laughs> uh yeah. in, the, in the delivery of some of those programs but you know i mean global is one one example and then there are a couple of other odds and ends that um that are maybe some legacy programs that uh, before we kind of really had a strategy um, that, have, that have remained in place. But I would say for the most part, most of the non-credit stuff does, does run through our, our centralized continuing education unit, which is a, um, a, a complete 100% auxiliary here. So we don't get any institutional subsidy, any institutional budget. So even when you're talking about like an RCM kind of funding model, it, we live outside of that. So we, we really do have to um, kind of exist on the, the quality of our service and the value that we bring because, um, because otherwise we're not going to get paid. Absolutely. And that, you know, you've raised an interesting point there that I want to dive into a little bit deeper because in previous conversations we had on how uh, how different institutions are executing on this model. And for those of you who are, who are longtime listeners of Illumination, you remember early on it, after the launch of the podcast, we spoke with Nicole Westrick at Temple where they, they executed a similar model. Um, and one, one of the ways that they managed to get buy-in institution-wide was sort of ex executive support that allowed them to reduce kind of the tax the different departments were charged as part of RCM if they agreed to have their continuing ed offerings um, have be managed centrally through through Nicole's shop. Uh, the idea being, you know, if you if you participate in this broad movement to consolidated administration that we're executing on, then you'll you'll get a break on the back end. So from the departmental perspective, they held on to more revenue. From continuing ed's perspective, obviously they're able to generate more revenue and more enrollment by executing you know, high quality business practices. And from the institutional perspective, there was that consolidation. There was the alignment of, of accounting practices. There was alignment of, 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 of operational security that, that made everything run smoother. How are you guys doing it at UCF? I mean, how are you creating buy-in from faculty, colleagues, uh, and partners institution-wide to participate in, in this centralization? Well, it's in some ways it's sort of always been thus, where we've we've always sort of had that expectation, and um, and and except for the kind of legacy carve outs that I alluded to earlier, so it, it hasn't been so much of a, a like a sales job that we've had to do to try to convince people that this is a good idea. This mm -hmm. has sort of been the structure that that we've had, and in, and in many ways it was a response to some of these regulatory requirements that you know, that certain programs need to be run through continuing education for certain reasons, you know, particularly to ensure the, the you know, a, a really bright line between ENG funding and auxiliary funding. Right. So uh, that, that hasn't been the biggest problem. Where, where it's been sort of a challenge is in things like, I don't know, events. And typically like events are run through continuing education, but there are all kinds of events that happen on campus and different colleges are like, well, why should I pay you X percent to run this event? I'm just going to run it. I'm like, all right, you can, but I, honestly, you're, 
you're going to end up paying just the same amount, if not more, to some staff member than you're going to be paying us some percentage to manage the whole thing for you. And I think in some ways they can be a, you know, a penny wise and a pound foolish by, by you know, trying to do it all themselves in, in, in the thoughts that it's better, but it's not. You know, I don't I don't think they have full time event planners in in their in the College of Engineering or something. And I'll just you know, yeah. just pick on them. Um, so, you know, that's just that's just one example. And so for us, you know, I know our model is a little different in that um, we do not get any institutional uh, you know, budget allocation through an RCM or something like that as 100 percent auxiliary. It's, it's both good and bad. It's a double edged sword in some ways. In, in one way, we're, we're not viewed as uh, as resentfully as like, oh, you know, part of my budget is going to, to this tax to support this thing that I'm hardly even using. But also, um, it, it, it puts a certain amount of, of pressure on the team to make sure that we're out there hustling to, to bring in the revenue that we need to properly serve the community and pay our expenses and, and grow and do all the things that are that are mission aligned for the university. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm curious to, to dive in a little bit more on, on the obstacles or challenges that you guys have encountered through the consolidation process. Um, and just from my own understanding, is the consolidation of, of sort of continuing education and, and global education, all these different units, was that that was relatively recent, right? Yeah, well, to be clear, global is its own thing, and it has sure, a separate yes. reporting line. Um, the the reorganization of uh, continuing education to to report up into the organization that that I'm in um, has been relatively recent, within the last year and a half or a little bit a little bit more. Um, and and some of that has to do with some organizational changes within academic affairs here at the university. Um, but it it seems to to make uh, kind of cultural sense for it to kind of live in with the online learning unit. I know that's the case in a lot of institutions. It wasn't the case here uh, until just a year and a half ago that we kind of got put together, but um, they do a lot of online learning. Our, our market rate and self-supporting online programs, graduate programs sort of have their own e-tuition rate. We've got just a handful of those, but they're all run by kind of by regulation through continuing education. So we'd already had a really, good productive relationship with continuing education before they officially became part of the family. So that in that regard, um, uh, it's been a really good fit um, from a culture alignment mission and uh, and in the work uh, itself that, that we do. And, and we're having conversations now. We're in the midst of a search for a new executive director. So that will, um, whenever the new director comes on board, he or she will have um, a lot of say in, in kind of the strategic direction, but we're having some strategic discussions now about, you know, what the portfolio should be, where should we invest, you know, how much should we do in this kind of work versus that kind of work? Because resources are limited and you want to make sure that, that, that you make the best decisions to, to, to serve the mission. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious as well about, you know, if there's anything that surprised you about the management of a, of a continuing ed unit that you maybe weren't anticipating before they came into your shop officially. Oh, wow. Good question. What well, surprised me? Um, I, well, I will say that just how impressed I have been with the team. They've just been phenomenal and, um, and, and just entrepreneurial, real go-getters. And, um, and they, they just really care about the students that they serve. And you sort of alluded to this earlier that this, these are these are students that uh, aren't 
necessarily served by traditional academic programs. A lot of these people are coming in at night, especially for our face-to-face -face classes, because they work during the day. And uh, a lot of them are sort of blue collar workers and they're coming in to try to improve their station or to move up or for whatever reason, or they're getting some sort of a certification that's gonna help them on the job. And these are not your, your typical kind of, you know, college freshmen coming in to live in, in the dorm, but they have needs that the university can support and um, we can help them in their you know, educational goals and improving their station. And, and it's definitely part of the mission of, a, of a, you know, a public research university situated in a community, a kind of urban community like Orlando is. And, uh, I, and I, I've just been just blown away by um, just how committed everybody is to that, to that mission. Absolutely. Operationally speaking, I mean, how's the experience been of building sort of a, a non-traditional engine that, that can scale? Because generally speaking, um, to your point, you know, I've, I've found as well through, you know, the folks that work in continuing education are unbelievably passionate. They're unbelievably driven. They really care about the mission, the learners. But as a result, it winds up creating a situation where generally speaking, those individuals kind of paper over some operational gaps between what you know, the, the structure of the institution is designed to do and what the needs are of the learners that they're serving day to day. How, how, have, you, how have you found the experience of, of building an engine that scales just to serve these audiences? Yeah, in complete transparency, we're working on it. Um, it's, <laughs> it is a challenge, you know, yeah. and I would say we've got, we've got two challenges in front of us right, right now. One is maybe more short term and the other is, is something probably more strategic. So the short term one is just like other parts of the university, the, the kind of the great re resignation or the great reshuffling has has impacted all parts of the division, including continuing ed. So we, we've got a couple of openings we're looking to fill, including the leadership. So that's that's a big one. So we've got to fix that. It's hard to scale if you don't at capacity as far as your, your, your team. The other, though, is... I think this is this has been a challenge, uh, kind of even even prior to COVID, and it's how do you balance only charging the units that you're serving on campus, kind of what you need to charge them to cover your expenses because you're a service to them, but in doing that, you you never build up any sort of reserve for R and D investment. Yeah. for being able to seize opportunities when they come up. And if you charged anything more, if you charge a penny more to your local, yeah. your internal college in order to build up a fund for somebody else, they don't like that. <laughs> I've, I've had this conversation with many deans and they're like, well, it's not my job to, to use revenue that could be coming to my program to invest in somebody else's startup. Right. So um, it's been a it's been a strategic conversation that I've had with my boss, the provost, and, and basically have said, for the time being, we are only charging kind of cost, yeah, uh, including overhead and other kinds of things. You know, and overhead's a cost, and it's it's much lower than it than it could be otherwise. And then as new opportunities come up, I'm going to come to you, and request the kind of strategic investment we'll need in order to proceed with with pursuing an opportunity and um and he understands that uh we'll see because it'll be completely dependent upon what's available at the time we need it 
Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. And that's, um, for, again, for those of you who, who listen to our podcast regularly, um, the discussion we had uh, with Mark Koulianos touched on a very similar topic of, you know, how, how can we scale and grow continuing education when we operate effectively at cost? Um, so, at, you know, at, at certain points, there's a need for strategic investment to support, you know, longer term scale and growth. How would you go about making that argument? And, and you know, I, I'm assuming that this is well, not I'm not assuming I work in a role that very specifically puts me in these kinds of conversations on a regular basis that there's there's a recognition across the continuing ed space for the need for more strategic investment in the, the infrastructure and the resources that allows a continuing ed unit to grow. How do you approach that kind of a conversation? You know, what are some of the some of the proof points you bring to the table? What? How do you generally uh, de- generally sort of approach a discussion like this? Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned uh, Mark at, at USF. He's he's ninety miles away at another public university in the state system in Florida, and and so he he operates in a very similar sort of environment. So I, yeah, I think I think we relate. Um, <laughs> You know, I think it's all the other, it's all the things that you would imagine you would need to bring if you're going to make a case for investment. You, you need to, you know, make sure that you um, ensure that it's mission aligned, that if you're going to ask for money, that there's, um, that there's, uh, you know, you can guarantee a good use of that money. And that, and that uh, I typically try to say that there's going to be a return on that, uh, wh- whether that's financial or to further some objective of the university. But for for a standalone, you know, a unit that sits on its own bottom financially, uh, like our continuing education unit, I, I think there has to be a financial return, um, and and hopefully one that that is more than breaks even, but uh, at least covers its expenses, and uh, and if possible, you know, be able to deliver back some some return on that investment to the to the group that gave you the money. So if it's academic affairs that's investing in this startup, this opportunity that there will be some revenue sharing that comes back to them mm-hmm. uh, as an incentive for making this investment. But I think it's in that order. I think mission is first and then the financial stuff is second. Um, but I think they both pieces have to be there. Uh, and uh, from a mechanic standpoint, I, I tend not to like um, write up long reports. I, I find, even though, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to do that, If some, but I find that most of the executives president and provost prefer like keep it simple and pictures and charts and uh so it's usually like a powerpoint sort of thing something to be said for a quick memo (laughs) yeah yeah well and and you know i if i put myself in the president's shoes good grief if everybody who wanted something from him wrote a 10-page paper you, you just couldn't absorb it all. So, you know, make it succinct, make it powerful, make it accurate, uh, have the data, but but put it in a format that, that could be easily absorbed. Absolutely. I mean, that you know, you, you, we joke about it, but there really is something to be said for form and function. Uh, and I think, you know, in, in, in the academic world, especially, we really believe in function over form. But if the form's not there, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so it's, it's interesting you bring up sort of mission and vision, because that's, that's where I wanted to go next. You know, obviously, we're, 
we're in a, a foundationally changing post-secondary marketplace and you know our competition is no longer just local um it's very much regional it's very much national and global um depending on the audiences we're serving and, and as an online division where non-degree programming continuing ed is part of your 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 focus the 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 market is obviously fundamentally different than you know it was maybe five or even you know 10 10 or five years ago so what is the long-term vision for for continuing professional online ed at, at ucf yeah, I mean, obviously we do want to grow. Orlando continues to grow. Uh, I think the state of Florida, I might have this wrong, but something like this. It's like a thousand new people move into the state a day. And um, and I, I think Orlando is the fastest growing city in the state, at least at one time it was. So the, the community's needs continue to grow. And as a result, I think that our um, our scope should continue to grow to serve those needs. That's part of what, why we're here is to serve the people in this, in this region. So the, the hope is to continue to grow. Uh, although, you know, there are, there are challenges there and, and we need to, we need to try to address those. Most of them having to do with resources, uh, you know, financial and, and personnel, but, um, but that's, that's the plan. Uh, and, and we hope to continue to execute on that plan. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because there is there really is a symbiotic relationship between especially a public university, but but a university and and the community, um, you know, as one grows, so does the other. Um, and I, I'm curious as to your perspective on, on the the importance of the institution to supporting uh, community growth, especially when it comes to engaging uh, major employers and corporations. Well, I always like to say to our team that that. Um, kind of on both on the online side and the continuing edu- education side, and, and there's overlap in, in those, those areas. But our purpose at the university is to serve students at the margins. These are students who are not coming through the normal doors into the university. Mm-hmm. They're coming you know, from, from places that are non-traditional. They're working, they are older, they are, and maybe they have a associate's degree from 10 years ago, maybe not, whatever. They're, maybe they, they don't even have a degree and they're coming to a boot camp to learn how to code because they want a, a new career, whatever it is. These are not our traditional students. And as we look at um, some of the projected demographic changes in the country and that the, the number of high school graduates will, will likely reduce over the next 10 years, I think it's super important for us to build this pipeline now so we know how to serve these non-traditional students, these students at the margins, because they're going to become more and more important to us at the institution in making sure that we can, you know, uh, be, be uh, solvent uh, and, and continue to have the kind of enrollment that we need. But also, I think, because that's who's going to need us as, as, uh, as we serve the community, kind of to circle back to your question. I think that these students are growing as a population that need the kinds of services that a, that a public university can, can provide. Absolutely. Well, Tom, I mean, that pretty much does it on my end. Thank you so much for, for taking your time out and for, for joining me on the Illumination podcast. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. This was fun. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. 
Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.